This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. One, two, three, four. Welcome to WTS Waikato, Season 2. It's a radio show and podcast about the goings-on in our region under the new normal. I'm producer Gary Farrow. Interlock NZ is a supportive group in the Waipa Waikato area, creating opportunities for connection through crafts, woodwork, cooking and social activities. It goes by the mantra that it is where life, disability and community connect. Aaron and Lois Ur are the founders of the organisation and invited WTS over for a chat. My name's Aaron. And I'm Lois and we started Interlock, I guess almost on accident during the first lockdown. Our son has autism and he came home, normally lives in support services, but he came home during um, the first lockdown because he couldn't stay in the house where he was. He, He became too anxious. And so while he was home, we started working with him out in the, in the back shed just building bird houses and bird feeders. And um, ones that we built, we gave away to folk in the community that we know had, knew had disabilities and were also in lockdown and had nothing to do. And it kind of just went from there, eh? Yeah. So, so that was important for him to have something to engage in. Um, Definitely. Yeah to, f- yeah, to to face his anxiety. Yeah. Having during the lockdown um, with the um, residential home you can't get out and do anything so you actually just in your room or in the lounge and it, it became way too much for our boy to handle. Um, being out in the shed um, you could talk to him about stuff and, and he could be engaged in other stuff and allow all those anxieties to just drop away. Um, and it's really good for my anxieties too. <laughs> mm. I think it's good for anyone's, isn't it? Right. Just having an actual hobby, an actual uh, stuff to do, to have the resources and be able to do that. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't matter how small you start, just so long as it gives you some time out. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So there would be a lot of people um, in society who need an opportunity to have an outlet like this. So um, that would be the grounds on which uh, Interlock got started, I guess, as um, yes. as we know it today. Yeah, yeah. And we started at the Red Cross Hall in Cambridge. Um, and I think our first meeting we had five or six um, folk from services, plus their support people there. And uh, it only took a, a few months, and the Red Cross Hall was too small. 
and um, as word got out there, because we don't have an advertising budget or anything like that, we're not a regular day service. We didn't um, have any budget, apart no. from our own. Yeah. <laughs> um, on a regular day service, the government pays the service to have you there for X amount of time. And we didn't want to run anything like that because that actually doesn't give people choice. And so we wanted people to come along because they actually enjoyed the, the sense of community and connection that they were receiving. And uh, it, definitely ended up like that. We have um, between 25 and 40 people aged 9 through to 60 um, come on a regular basis plus their support people so we can have um, 60 uh, people coming through in a day. But they're there because they want to, they're not mandated to be there. Uh, there because they actually enjoy connecting with other people of like mind, uh, which is social stuff is so important. Hey? Really, really. It's run more like a club than a day service. You come when you want to come, you leave when you want to leave. We don't say you've got to be there, we don't say you have to come and do this, and we certainly don't say you must do it the way we tell you to do it. Whatever we are doing, whatever craft it is, you do it how you want to do it because it's your craft. You're going to take it home with you. You're going to be the one looking at it. There isn't a, pres uh, a prescription in the beginning then of uh, what the goal is or anything. People just come along to be engaged in yes. a community group. Yeah. And we'll have a craft set up for that day. Um, but those that come decide whether or not they actually want to do that craft and we'll show them different ways to do it. One of the things we... Um, emphasises that we are do, working with, not doing for. So we don't sit there and say, okay, now you'll do this, now you do this, you put that blue button here and that green one there. We actually give them the choice, say, look, there's all that stuff there, how do you want it to look? And then we can assist to do the things that they can't. If it's needlework or um, some fine gluing, we can put the glue in place, then they put everything where they want it, or as one of the guys does, he, he comes along when he wants to, but he only comes along to catch up with his friends, he doesn't want to do any of the crafts, he just goes from table to table catching up with friends that he hasn't seen in a month or so, and that's cool, that's his social outlet for the week, it, it works. Because <laughs> the whole emphasis of Intermop is not that you've come to do a craft, there's a craft for you to do while you socialise. The yeah. socialisation is the reason for the group. Yeah. And you see that especially during the morning tea, because uh, we provide a morning tea for everybody. It's providing people with the platform to express themselves and to engage in activities and to meet other people Definitely. who are doing similar things. At their level. Not at the caregiver's level, not at our level but at the level that they want to interact at. And that's really important. Our tag phrase for, for the um, interlock is where disability, you know, where life, disability and community connect. Because we all have a life, those with a, those with a disability like ourselves sometimes miss out on that, having a life and connecting with community because we're 
stuck or relegated <laughs> to a, a specific regime of doing things. So this allows people to have a life, enjoy their disability, but also fellowship with their community in a way that's unique because it's on their terms. We became an official charitable trust last year um, and so we have funding from applications to trust like the Lions Club and to Rotary. Rotary. Um, the Give It Back Trust, just local philanthropic groups. We don't have government funding. Um, I guess when we're bigger and we're actually employing people because we're all volunteers, if we got to the stage where we were employing people, then we would actually need government funding to do that because most philanthropic groups don't, um, don't give fund funds wages. for it. Yeah, they don't fund wages. Mm. Um, but at the moment, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you're running off the smell of an oily rag. Mm, yeah, some days. <laughs> so, some days just a few from what's left after it's been washed. <laughs> <laughs> Would you intend to eventually become a, a bigger organisation? Yes. Yeah, we definitely would. If we had our own building here in Cambridge, um, then we would definitely look at being um, going five days a week and actually providing much more activities in planned group time. Um, that would be fantastic because there is the meat there um, and there is so much that we can do uh, as a group if we had the time and space and literally the finances. What um what things do you engage in with uh, the people who come along to interlock? And do you do also separate sort of um, separate groups for people with different interests? Okay. The basis of neuroplasticity or neurodiversity. And as much as we, we like to actually have a whole lot of different things, we don't do just cooking or just um, sewing or stuff like that. We make, uh, we have one week a month which is cooking and they get to bake stuff with the recipe, take it home and then they can experiment with it at home further. Um, we do a lot of paper craft. My wife has a cricket machine that we can make all sorts of amazing cards and uh, boxes and all sorts of um, gift boxes and stuff. So we use a lot of that. We've been donated seven sewing machines, so we do some sewing, making bags. Um, we've done tie-dyed t-shirts, uh, which was an awful lot of fun. Uh, we do a lot of woodwork stuff. Um, we've just currently sent out a, a pack to everybody with a laser print on the on a piece of wood, and they have to colour it in and then we've drilled it so they actually then get to embroider that piece of wood over top of their colouring to give an outline and then the next stage with that taking it to um, the next level is that we're going to create a box to go under it and that'll become the lid for their own um, precious box something that they can actually have and keep hold of so we do a whole lot of different things every week's a different activity and we 
try to make sure that all of our activities are actually meaningful, so they're not doing something just for the sake of doing something. Um, it's got to have uh, a value to it for us to for us to introduce it to the group. Right, and they've been leading towards sort of a, 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 a final goal as well of, of um, uh, people in the program actually having a keepsake of yes. what they've been involved yeah. in. Everything that they make, they get to take home with them. Um, we also have a, also make extras so that um, we can then give away as well. We're very conscious of the fact that within disability, some people see it as forever wanting something or, or taking something from the community. So we always make extra to give back to the community um, so that our guys also have that sense of, I made this for you. And, and they're actually giving of themselves when they're giving something away because it's something precious that they've done. Uh, I think it's really important to to develop that sense of, yes, I've made this for me, but I've made another one to give away because it it gives a different dynamic. You make something for yourself, it's, yes, I did that. You give something to somebody else, in this case, of, you're really giving a part of you away. And um, a lot in the disability community have not had the ability to do that. So this gives them that, that whole new sense of community when they can give something to support somebody else. Yeah, I, I can see how that's really important because like you say, it feels like um, people with disabilities are receiving from the community, so being able to give back is yes. something huge and in turn being Absolutely. able to express themselves. Yes, yeah. And sometimes what they give back, you look at it and you think, Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, but it's theirs. It's their creation. And we don't alter anything that they give away or that, that they make themselves. We don't say, oh, you, you should do this or you should do that. Um, it's their creation. It's how they view art. It's how they view their life. And so we, we don't alter anything. And some of the stuff that's gone out is a little bit whack. But when it's received and people know where it's come from, it's treated whack. Nice way of putting it. So yeah. before you mentioned neurodiversity, and yeah. um, how would you describe that to a person who isn't familiar with that term? Okay. So for us, neurodiversity is about we don't all learn in one way. That for many of us, uh, myself included, I have to learn a task in different ways for it to make sense. If you just give me a task that's written on a piece of paper, um, I'll look at it, I'll be able to do it, but it may not actually hold in my memory. Um, but if you give it to me and um, show me a model of something, then I can go, oh, okay, so that's what it looks like, and it, it holds further. Another person may have to take a step further than that and go, well, I can't see that. I don't understand that unless it's got colours in it. And so you, you diversify again. You give them a, um, something that's already made up and coloured. And then it's like it clicks and it's like, right, so now I can do this. And it's just 
those different learning streams coming in at different levels. Some people would look at something once and go, yep, got it. Most of us will have to look at it from different angles before we get it because our brains are that diverse. Mm, so we're talking like language, numbers, visual, and um, physical examples yes, so physical to examples. understand what they're doing. And the sensation to actually holding something that's completed. When you hold something that's completed, it, it, it again reinforces a totally different set of emotions and values. Um, holding a bag full of bits and pieces like, great, what do I do with that? But if you've got something that's completed in front of you that you can hold on to, it's tactile, you can go, oh, and different light bulbs start going on. So you can start connecting things. So every one of our senses, um, I think, adds to our learning and some senses are, are stronger than others. We got one young lass who um, was doing some work on plaster of Paris hearts. Didn't mean a great deal to her until we started introducing nail polish to, to colour them in with rather than just felt pens. Nail polish reminded her of her mum Mm. And so she spent the whole of the whole two hours that she was with us, colouring in these hearts and the shirt and the colours that Mum would have used on her fingers when she was around. Brought back memory, brought back that sense of warmth and connectedness for her, and gave her an artistic outlet for that in words that she couldn't use. That's cool. <laughs> I think that's the key thing, artistic. Yeah. Like these are all works of art by the people taking part in the program. Definitely. Individual works of art. Yeah. Mm. So there are a lot of elements to be um, appreciated there by anybody who sees uh, one of these works. Yes. Um, it could be something that the person who created it can't even explain. It's Most just definitely. emotion is infused in that, uh, that product which yeah. they've made. And suddenly you'll find that the person that you work with has skills that you never knew they were there. Well, yeah. One guy who's probably in his 50s that's coming along and he, um, his support people sent us some pictures of him doing his um, board and his needlework on the board that we sent out, and they were amazed. We were amazed, nobody knew he actually had that dexterity in his fingers to start doing needlework. And instead of colouring it in, he just wanted to do the needlework, and then he covered it in the most glorious stickers, little puffy stickers and stuff, and put it up on the wall of his home. Never before has he created um, anything like that. And his person's come out of um, traditional psych services um, out at Tokunui and uh, had all that creativity there and nobody knew. Mm. That's, so, a, that's another word you used before, neuroplasticity, uh, and that basically entails people being able to learn 
learn new skills or to yes. uh, to hone their senses yep. and it sounds like that's what uh, people uh, like that man you just mentioned yes. um, are able to gain from interlock yeah yeah definitely people who you would think coming through the institutional system in New Zealand um, are well institutionalized into now you eat now you sleep now you share a, B, C, D, go to bed sort of thing. Um, and we don't realise that inside that regimented brain is a whole realm of creativity that hasn't been tapped yet. And yet here's this guy doing needlework, something that nobody thought he was able to do. Um, we have other people who have quite crippled a CP and or cerebral palsy and um, or, uh, and some of the arthritis, and you think, gosh, I'm, they're not going to be able to do this particular task. How can we modify it? And so each task has about three three to four different levels within it. And um, for some of our folk, we can say, okay, this is going to go to here. You know, this person's going to go to level one in this task. Maybe they'll stretch themselves if they want to to level two. And... For some, it's like, okay, they're just going to start at level four and then go and do their own thing. <laughs> but it's amazing how many in those lower levels, when you think, this is as simple as we can make it, will then take that step, do the simple stuff, and then add one or two embellishments that we hadn't even thought of. But for them, it was like, a light went on. I can do this, I can put that on there. It's fantastic to see, to see people changing and engaging and actually creating things. It's a fantastic process. That's neural connections being created right there, isn't it? It like, is. By people, people doing things, it leads them on to think, oh, maybe I could do this as well, and maybe I could do this. Yes. And the brain makes those advancements itself because it is programmed to but but as as you say these people may have been um institutionalized yeah. and been just living by abcd yeah. um and uh they wouldn't have the knowledge they wouldn't have the understanding that they could have these new abilities and no. certainly the institution wouldn't think they have it no and yet and as much as the people that were supporting grow and through those activities, some of the biggest growth that we see is actually in the people that support them and the caregivers and how the caregivers are breaking out of that, oh, I'll just do it for you because it's quicker. And they, they're breaking out of that and actually taking time to allow each individual to think about that process and create their own piece of artwork. Mm. And that's a real challenge for some caregivers because they, they have this, let's get it done, let's get it over and done with and move on to the next thing. And they don't give that time needed. But when they do, they actually find themselves quite challenged, mm. which is a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So even the caregivers, in that sense, are being deinstitutionalized. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some of them need it. <laughs> and you've got to get the caregivers back to that focus on this as an individual. When I'm with this person, 
I need to think and act differently because they are not part of a mould, they're an individual. Imagine that, a person as an individual. Yeah, pretty crazy thinking, eh? pretty radical stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we do radical. <laughs> and yeah, that's relevant to the um, entire um, disability sector, or the, the whole of mental health as well, is yes. that everybody needs to be um, approached in a different way and there needs to be understanding allowed for their uniqueness. Yes, we do so. that as a natural thing with everybody else who's not disabled, so to speak. So why can we not do it for people with disability? Yeah. They need it so much more than people who are supposedly normal. That does seem really strange, eh? It's like, oh, I understand this guy who I work with is sometimes a bit grumpy, um, sure. but this person over here has an intellectual yeah. disability, so um, <coughs> we're just going to put them in a box. Yeah, yeah. yeah it does happen like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll make room for him because we know he's having a bad day. Mm. He's uh, you know, had whatever happened, so we'll make room for him. But if somebody with a disability has a bad day, oh, you're acting out. Mm. You know, or or they're, they're playing up, they're, you know, they're wanting attention or something. Well, no, they're actually just having a bad day and you need to stop, acknowledge that. Not such a good day today, eh? What do we need to do? You want a cup of tea? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like, let's, let's sit down and have a talk before yes. we um, before we engage in the activities. Yep. You know, we spend so much time teaching the disabled within their disability how to cope with society, and we don't spend any time teaching society to deal with people with yeah. disabilities. Mm. Yeah. It's just wrong. We have a more possibility to learn than they do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's society that causes disability, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah. the people that we label disabled are just people. They don't see themselves as, I am this person disabled. They see themselves as, I am this person. This is my name. Yes, I have this disability. But that's it. Where we look at it and go, oh, that's a cerebral palsy, that's a Downs, that's a blah, blah, whatever. But they're not the people. Yeah. This is an individual whose life is affected by this condition. Not this is a condition that has an, an individual attached to it. <laughs> Thanks to Aaron and Lois for speaking with WTS. Interlock NZ is running on a reduced timetable at the moment under the COVID-19 red light setting. But they are still very keen to make contact with any potential volunteers or funders who can help out with the invaluable Interlock program. Visit them on Facebook or give them a call on 021 578 856 for more information. Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikatoa. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance, and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.